Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Sonia. I'm an alcoholic. Sonia. Uh, my sobriety date is April 23rd, 2012. I just celebrated six years of sobriety and um, just recently moved here from Philadelphia about three and a half weeks ago. And um, man, if, if if I was unsure of my character defects, like moving across the country has definitely like, you know, thrown fertilizer on, on the whole problem. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I never thought that, um, when I was drinking, I'll say, I never thought I had a problem with alcohol. Um, I thought if you had my life story, you would drink like me too. Um, and, you know, I, when I was, I, I was abandoned as a baby and I was left as an infant, um, on the steps of an orphanage, and I was taken in the orphanage um, in Jordan, and I ended up staying there for about six to seven months before I was adopted and brought to the U.S., and for a long time, I thought that's why I was an alcoholic. I was abandoned, like, you know, poor me, and I didn't look at the fact that I had been blessed with an opportunity to come here and um, have a lot in my life, you know, um, but I didn't see it that way, and I grew up with a wonderful, wonderful mother and a horribly verbally and mentally abusive uh, father who suffers from mental illness. And for a long time, I thought that's why I was an alcoholic. Like, like I said, if you had my story, if you went through my struggle, so to speak, um, you would drink too. And so I drank at people. And as soon as I picked up a drink, um, I found that all of the anxiety and all of the fear and a lot of kind of like what we talk about in AA, um, it kind of melted away and I could kind of be the person that, you know, I always wanted to be, right? Like I knew I, I was worthy of love. I knew that I was likable. I knew that I liked being around people, making friends. And, um, I just felt, you know, like alcohol allowed me to do that. And it really wasn't bad at first, except every single time I drank, I drank to blackout. And, um, it was always for effect. Um, I was able to kind of disguise my drinking in various hobbies that I didn't really give a shit about. And, um, you know, just kind of would find any excuse to drink. And, um, it, it only took me, I would say about six years to, um, to hit the ground pretty hard. Um, I, I picked up a drink when I was 16, which when I came to AA, I realized that I was like really late. Um, and, but immediately got into trouble, just destroyed stuff. I turned into like a kleptomaniac and would steal anything. Um, just was constantly kind of reaching outside of myself to feel better. And, um, like now I know it's filling the void, right? But I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that, uh, the constant anxiety and pressure, fear, worry, self-pity, selfishness, all of that melted away and alcohol allowed me to like be in the moment, right? And those are some of the things that I've gained through practicing these principles and working a program in AA. And, um, I didn't know that at the time. And so I, I hit a bottom, so to speak. I love that it talks about, you know, what does the bottom look like for someone that 
gets sober at 22 that maybe doesn't have a house and a car and a family to lose. Um, but I, I lost my sense of, of who I was. Um, I could no longer be accountable to my friends and family. Um, I had lied to people for years. I got kicked out of college um, twice uh, for doing things that I, um, you know, like that I just shouldn't have been doing. And um, there were other things that were part of my story. I, I picked up, um, like, amphetamines in, during that time. I picked up Adderall during that time, which, for me, was better than any, like, uh, pain reliever because it allowed me to be productive and it allowed me to, like, get shit done and, uh, therefore, convince myself that, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic because I was, leave it, like, le- you know, leading a functional life. And... Um, I was hospitalized multiple times. Um, I don't really want to spend too much time focusing on how it was. Uh, something that I realized in AA was just that, um, you know, we all are kind of the same. And I was told to to look for the similarities and not so much for the differences. And uh, I was blessed with the willingness to jump into this program. I am a first-timer. I say that because if you're new and this is your first time, it doesn't have to – it it can stay that way. You can come here and you can stay. And I needed people to tell me that. Um, I jumped immediately into the steps, and I was uh, – kind of blessed by a sponsor that didn't, you know, blow smoke up my ass. She told me exactly how my character defects um, affected my behavior and that I was 100% possible, uh, probable that I was going to act out on these defects again um, in sobriety, whether I picked up a drink or not, um, unless I asked God to remove them. Um, I hear a lot about, you know, working on your character defects. Well, I'm not capable of doing that. If I could, I would, and I can't. I need to ask something bigger than me every day to help guide me, to help redirect my thoughts and my actions. And um, I stayed in the middle of this program for the past six years and uh, just have been just like on fire, right? And uh, since moving here, it's 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 been a challenge because I don't have that community, but I'm trying to just kind of treat myself like a newcomer again, do a 90 and 90, meet women, get in a service. Um, and service is really kind of what changed my whole view of, of sobriety. Um, and a lot of it, you know, I thought it was just sponsorship. Well, I sponsored a lot of girls and they didn't call or we only got through the fourth step or, you know, and I thought that was because of me. Like, what am I not doing, right? Um, and I have taken some women all the way through the steps, but it's not my job to keep them sober. It's my job to say yes. It's my job to do the work with them, to open the book, because every time I'm reading it with them, I'm also reading it, right? Um, so a lot has happened in sobriety. You know, I, I was able to go back to school, the same school that I was kicked out of twice, like... I was able to travel the world and get my own place and, like, do all of these external things that I always wanted, and none of them make, made me happy. Um, none of them filled that void unless I'm seeking some kind of higher power. I was raised in a really uh, atheist, I would say even anti-religious household where it was looked down upon to believe in God. And, uh, you know, finally I got to the point where it just needed to not be me as long as it wasn't me. So... My God, I just called it not me. So I would just say, hi, not me. Help me. Thank you. And, like, that was my prayer for a long time, you know. And um, it still is at times. And, um, you know, I, the steps are something that I'm still learning how to practice 
in a day-to-day basis based off of what is kind of happening in my life. And chances are, if there's something that I don't want to do, then I need to be doing it. And if it's something that I really want to do, I probably, you know, um, should probably run it by another person. And I'm lucky that I'm at a point now where it's automatic. And they talk about laying the foundation upon which a happy and purposeful life can be built. And like, if you're new, like, that can absolutely happen. There are things that are autopilot for me now. Um, but I still struggle, you know. Um, if there's anything I've learned, just having people fall off, um, having people die, having people go back out, is that, you know, you're ne- you never got this. We never got this. And uh, I'll speak for myself. I don't have this. And um, it's easy for me to uh, get cocky. And when I get something being like, look at what I did, but like, I didn't do it. You know, I placed myself in a position where the opportunity came because I relied on a higher power or a God or whatever. For me, God is love, right? So I believe in love. I believe in the rooms. I believe in you people that are the only accepting, loving people that I've had consistent, consistently in my life, you know, since I got sober. And, um, you know, no matter how tough this move has been, um, you know, we have to keep trudging, you know, and um, I'm just going to kind of keep showing up and um, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but uh, just the fact that I have the opportunity to have a career and make friends and be there for people is definitely a life beyond my wildest dreams because I woke up every day just wanting to die and um, waking up and not wanting to die is beyond my wildest dreams. And um, yeah, I think that's all I have. Thanks. I'm Ezra. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ezra. Um, thanks for kicking us off. That was really beautiful. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to share with you guys tonight. Um, I, I didn't really want to be here like an hour or two ago. Um, I had a kind of a, a bizarre day. Um, I'm in the middle of a move transition also. Um, and I, I drove here from a house that I bought, like, I'm still surprised that I could say that I bought a house in Sacramento, um, like on June 1st. And it was like a little unexpected. Um, but it's awesome. And I love it. It's beautiful. There's trees in the backyard and there's like a white picket fence. It's super weird. And like, there's my car and it's like, I don't have to like, I, I parked on the street in Berkeley for like nine years, you know? And now like I have my own, like, it's like a, Driveway. <laughs> Very bizarre. What's that? <laughs> it's really weird. And so I, I came here. I made a bunch of phone calls to people. And and then I, like, went to my bank. And I went to uh, the Berkeley Bowl. And I got some stuff for the house. And then I went to a meeting. And then and then my cousin is here from... Um, from New York and I hung out with him and it was like really draining, but kind of cool. Cause I, he lives in Brooklyn and I, I don't really know him that well, but it was cool to hang out with him. And, um, and I'm just in this really big transition. And I think it's cool that, you know, Sony and I are both like, and she's like moving here and I'm like moving kind of that way. Um, so it's like, I need to be of service to you guys. Like that's why I'm here. That's why Neil asked me a few weeks ago. Cause like, my life has just been in this major turmoil and like, I'm like, thank you so much. Cause I need to be here right now. I got cleaners coming to my apartment tomorrow. I got to let them in so they can clean my place. I got to surrender my keys. Um, so like I'm kind of freaking out cause I've been in the Bay since 
2007. And like Sacramento is super cool, but like it does not have the cachet of the Bay Area. So um, anyway, so just so you guys know where I'm at right now. So I'm really grateful to be here. You know, welcome to anybody who's new, who like feels like they might be new or whatever. Um, um, my sobriety date is September 29th, 2012. So I have about five and a half years of sobriety. Um, I've never relapsed since I came into the program. We're like, we believe in God, but we're so superstitious about, you know, sobriety dates here. So that's kind of funny. Um, let's see. I grew up down in, um, it's the Pacific Palisades Malibu border. So it's technically Malibu, but it's basically the Pacific Palisades, basically where the Getty Villa is. And so it's not on the beach. It's very close to the beach. Um, my parents told me I was upper middle class. We're not rich, Ezra. We're upper middle class <laughs> in the eighties, right? Meanwhile, like real estate was like slowly like ticking the world up and they're like, nope, nope. We're sticking to upper middle class here. You know, we're not, you know, don't think you're rich, kid, because you're not, you're not rich. Um, I'm part of a Jewish family. Um, I'm a third generation Holocaust survivor. So what that means is that my grandfather and my grandma both survived the Holocaust. And so that's pretty interesting. It comes up later. Um, <laughs> I grew up like a pretty fearful child. Like the thing that really freaked me out was infinity. Um, like the fact that like time just kind of like goes on infinitely and that like my life is finite, but there's this infinite thing. And it like it freaked me out. It was like three or four. And I was like in bed, like, you know, having a panic, anxiety attacks about that. So I think it might be because my grandfather died while I was in the house with my grandma and she had a panic attack and my sister was there. My parents were in Hawaii. It was pandemonium and screaming. Anyway, um, so yeah, 80s, you know, in Malibu was not that bad. It was pretty cool. I got to model for Oshkosh Bagosh once. That was fun. <laughs> um, Basically, like, I did, I learned some, like, unhealthy skills, you know, like, keeping my feelings kind of locked inside. In fact, like, a good friend of my mom, she said, like, we would see you, like, you would get mad and you would just, like, compress, like, everything in and down, you know? And I would, like, turn red, you know, like, I have rosacea, like, I have reddening, you know, like, fire inside. Um, I have five Leos in my chart, so if you wonder why I like talking in front of people, I'm like a super prideful, vain, you know, arrogant, um, I'd like to perform. I'm a guitarist. Um, yeah, so I hid things from my parents, like, I, you know, they didn't, I mean, I, tr I tried to talk to my mom about my panic attacks at night, and she was like, just go to bed, dude, I don't know. Um... <laughs> You know, she was raised by two Holocaust survivors who didn't exactly know how to give her a whole lot of love, right? Because they were like, seriously, like, talk about PTSD. I mean, geez, geez Louise. These were not camp survivors. Um, I'll get into a little bit of that in a bit. But basically, okay, my sponsor said to talk about, okay, a few ideas that I learned about myself. Number one is I'm not good and I'm fucked. Right. Those are two ideas that I learned. And I learned those because my mom was trying to quit cigarettes. I was born addicted to cigarettes. My mom smoked cigarettes in the seventies when I was born. And, um, she tried to quit smoking. And when she did, she became like 
a vengeful, angry, rageful person. And so she raged really hard at me and my sister. And I got this idea like, oh, like I'm the problem. Like I'm, you know, I'm trapped. I'm fucked. Like, you know, very negative ideas about life, which are not true. Um, but that's what I learned. So I had a bar mitzvah. I could not wait to get done with that thing so I could put sun in my hair. And, you know, like I went to Mexico with all the sun in and my, I was with my friend Eric Gonzalez and we, for some reason, my vacation post bar mitzvah was like in Mexico with Eric's older brother who was like a heroin addict, uh, recovering like in rural Mexico and he takes us to a nightclub. And so my first drink was bottle service in a Mexican nightclub. And you know, it, it was like fucking go, you know? like whiskey or tequila or whatever. And like, we were on the dance floor and it was like, I think we ended up in the paper, you know, cause we were in the middle of nowhere, like, like white kids, you know, partying up. I, I mean, it could have been in my head, but I, I swear. we ended up in the paper. <laughs> um, So, I mean, very soon after that, I got into marijuana, very good anti-anxiety. I'm a very anxious person. Um, why did, why did I drink and do drugs? You know, cause, cause I, I can't deal with feelings, right? Feelings are impossible. You know, like, why would I want to feel my feelings when I could, you know, compress them and shut them down? And then, you know, so I drank to like not feel right. It's pretty simple. You know, it's like a perfect recipe for alcoholism and drug addiction. In my opinion, you take family trauma, you mix it with like not feeling your feelings and like learning how to process healthily. And then, you know, and then and then you get drugs. Right. And (laughs) alcohol, you know. So I also, you know, was very much being like drawn into like rebellious things. Like I like things that aren't good for me. What the fuck is this? Um, I like things that aren't good for me, right? Like I like rock and roll music. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But when you mix it with like cigarettes and booze and drugs and, you know, motorcycles, all these things, you know, it can become dangerous. And I am attracted to dangerous things. Um. Yeah, so that's basically what my, you know, I, I was just a typical kind of punky, quiet, reserved, typical, angry teenager kid. Um, I went to Humboldt State for college. I did some drugs. I dropped out. I went to California Culinary Academy in San Francisco, 97, San Francisco. Learned how to really drink in San Francisco and in the restaurant industry. Who knew? Like, great way to learn how to really drink and do drugs. Um, you know, there were some periods in my, you know, alcoholism where it was kind of dormant and I, I became kind of a binge guy where I would like be kind of quiet. And then there would be times when I would drink and I would just be like throwing up because I, I could not like, you know, I do everything to extreme. Like that's alcoholism, like everything to extreme. So I'm going to, I'm going to get sober here. So you know, life happens, twists and turns, periods of like aggressive drinking and partying and periods of relative calm where I'm a productive member of society. And then eventually, like, I ended up in Berkeley in 2009 in a studio apartment uh, with an alcoholic neighbor upstairs who I've seen at this meeting. Um, and paper thin walls, second story apartment, California and Addison decent place, run controlled. Um, and I started, uh, a friend of mine, you know, had asked me if I want, if you, if I would 
help him sell insurance, right? Because he knew I had the license from some job and I said, I'm stoned on Xanax at home, you know, not doing anything. So I'm just on unemployment. I might as well start working for you. Like it's 2009, financial crisis is in full swing. 2010 at this time, maybe 11, who knows? Um, my favorite band, Fish, had come back. You know, they were now on tour and I had been slowly like upticking my drug consumption and I started like mixing different things. Like I would take ecstasy and I would mix a little acid in at the same time and wash it down with vodka or whatever. And so, um, I was going to leave this friend of mine's business and I was going to start my own business selling insurance. And he had kind of groomed me and taught me. And I was like, Oh, like I'm, I could sell insurance. You know, I can do this. Right. So I don't need this guy anymore. And, um, I was going to leave his company and, and it was very scary. Right. Cause I had to get a lawyer and I had to like, I was going to like grow up and be an adult, like have my own business, be a man in the world. Cause clearly I couldn't work for anybody else. So I was very anxious and, um, the way I dealt with that anxiety was to like take a bunch of drugs and my band was on tour and I went to San Francisco. I planned it all out. I had all my different, you know, fancy colored jackets (laughs) and my friends, we had a hotel in the Tenderloin, even though I lived in Berkeley and, you know, um, I started off the week all bad. Um, this is what happened. This is how I ended up getting sober, but I had to have this really nasty bottom. And I, uh, I ended up taking over a week's time. I took mushrooms. I took acid. I took ecstasy. I took, I put a little cocaine in my beverage because I don't like how it feels in my nose and I have ADD anyways. So I didn't do anything. I drank. Um, um, and I took Oxycontin for my first time. Right. And this was all in about a four or five day span. Um, and that night, you know, after Saturday night, after like the big show, you know, um, you know, I, I bought a bottle of bullet whiskey, put it in my pocket and then we hit the town. Right. Um, that show was like the last time I ever did drugs. Um, and I had this thing, you know, I was like watching these guys play and I was like, I'm really into the bass player of this band because he's Jewish like me. And he, um, I started thinking about like sacred geometry and math. I was like tripping so hard. I couldn't find my friends. I was lost and grinding my teeth. It was so uncomfortable. And I realized that like, I got to stop doing drugs and I got to stop partying. Like I'm a mess, you know, I'm having a terrible time. It's supposed to be a fun weekend with my friends. They're, they're somewhere lost in the crowd. And then I thought about music. This is my true love. And I'm having the worst time. You know, I love music more than anything. I want to play music. I want to be a musician. I want to sell fucking insurance. I'm a musician, you know. And then I realized, like, my grandfather, he survived the Holocaust playing the trumpet for the Polish-Russian army in the band because it took him off the front lines. Like, music saved my life, right? I'm like... You know, and my family survived the Holocaust. Like, my mom's basically Anne Frank if she hadn't gotten killed. Like, they're, she's like a few years younger than Anne Frank would have done. It's crazy. So, you know, I realized, like, I got to stop, you know. But before I stop, I got to, like, you know, one for the road, right? <laughs> and that's where the bullet whiskey came into my pocket. And I went out and, you know, I went to a club and 
it was just pandemonium. I, you know, some guy claimed I, you know, fingered his asshole and on the dance floor, he took a swing at me. You know, there was the coke with the, you know, I was just insane with the Transylvanian transvestite. My friend was like trying to hook up with her, but he, it was really a guy. And I thought, anyway, I ended up like getting kicked out of a, like we got out of the cab in North Beach and I like slammed the door because I was tired and drunk and cab driver got out and was kicking me and, you know, I ended up like picketing with the Irish Hotel Workers Union on my way home. Like, you know, I was buying jewelry off of crackheads. It was totally insane, you know, and the next day I did the Oxy and then the next day I couldn't sleep, right? So I took Ambien and then I started sleepwalking to go back in time. 48 hours ago where the party was still going on and you know I walked out of the house and I'm like you know what I'm not coming back tonight if I walk out that door you know because like I'm trying to go to San Francisco on the bus you know first I gotta go to Oakland and I gotta get the late bus to San Francisco like I was trying to kill myself you know I don't really want to die but I didn't really want to live you know that's the truth. Like, I was looking for an accident, you know, the way I was behaving. Because I don't want to grow up and be a man. So, that's my truth, you know. Um, I'm talking about suicide because I think that a lot of suicidal deaths are alcoholism. You know, Anthony Bourdain, whatever. So... It was dark, man. That was some dark shit, you know, and it wasn't, a, it was a little while later, you know, that I realized that, like, I think my higher power came to me, you know, on that dance floor in San Francisco at the Bill Graham Civic. And it was like, dude, you're fucking way off track. You got to get it together, you know? And I think I, even in that moment, I had this thing, like, about God, you know, like, that maybe, like, I was just wrong about everything. Like, maybe, like, maybe... I had this idea when I was thinking about infinity as a kid that there's like no higher power. There's no God, right? We're just all alone in this big empty space for the short period of time. And then we go into infinity as nothing. And it was so scary. Um, I think my higher power came into me that night at 35 or 36 years old. Um, I, you know, a few weeks later, my, uh, my best friend, who had, you know, like five or 10 years at the time, five years. Um, he, um, he said, you know, as like, you've lost a lot, you know, like maybe you want to give AA a try, you know? And so, um, I had given myself drug induced mania from all that shit that I took. Um, and so I, uh, my behavior led me to, um, get kicked out of a band. I got kicked out of BNI, which is a very prestigious business networking organization for self-employed solo entrepreneurs. Um, uh, my sister wouldn't talk to me. My parents were totally freaked out. My friends were walking away. One of my biggest clients fired me. I was humiliated, you know. I was totally demoralized, and I was just, like, completely ready to, like, try something different. And so... You know, as a newcomer in AA, you know, I just was like fully ready to just listen to whatever anybody had to say, um, which was awesome, right? Because I was like, what if I just don't know shit, you know? 
what if everything I know is like totally wrong, right? Mm-hmm. I've been totally humbled. Like I thought I could get away with it. I legitimately thought that I could take ecstasy on the weekends and show up at work on Monday and that I could do that. And it was okay. And I could have a double life. And turns out it's not okay, right? Because those people were depending on me. They needed me to have my head clear to sell insurance. Oops. So, uh, you know, what worked in early sobriety, right? I mean, I got a sponsor, right? I did the steps, you know, we only worked for a few months. I got a second sponsor. He took me through all the steps. That worked, right? Um, going to coffee with people at Rockridge Fellowship afterwards, that worked. Finding a home group, that really, really worked. Having a home group that I went to every week where people could see me. And it was the men's home group, not a women's home group. Not a mixed one. <laughs> um, speaker, speaker tapes on YouTube, right? I learned a lot because... My insurance business was fledgling. I had to drive Uber. This was in 2012. Um, and I had lots of time to just listen to speaker tapes. That really helped. Uh, one of them said you have to really identify as an alcoholic in order to get this thing. You have to like identify like not just like going to the meeting at the Berkeley Fellowship, you know, where it used to be and being like, well, you guys are, you know, alcoholics and I'll go to your meeting but I'm not going to hang out with you, right? That's not identification. That's not like I am one of whatever we are, right? It took me a while to surrender my stubborn, you know, will that like, I'm just, I'm just an alcoholic. I'm just a drug addict. I'm not special. What didn't work was going to a ton of different meetings all the time. Like, so nobody could get to know me, right? Because I thought I was better than everybody because my ego is profound and it will probably kill me if I let it. Um, yeah, uh, the, the recovery program didn't really... I mean, I want to talk about 2013, right? Because I borrowed money from my dad for the last time in 2012, like around November. Because um, he helped me give me some money just to get my company started. And I probably partied a fair amount of that off and... So I had a little bit of money coming in from this insurance thing, like a thousand bucks a month, basically. My rent was like eight fifty or something. And, you know, somehow 2013, like I look back at that year and I'm like, how the fuck did I not have to borrow money in 2013? Like, how is that possible? Because like I was driving for Uber and I was selling insurance and like, like, how did I connect the dots? And I know it wasn't a great year because, like, I was unfuckable. Like, no decent woman would consider sleeping with me. And God bless them, I wasn't really trying, you know. Um, like, you know, I was nervous. I was sweaty. I was um, sad and lonely. I, I didn't have any friends at all. Like, all, you know... I was just starting over from scratch, like everything. And, um, you know, but I was like, I was working this program like hard, you know. I did all the steps to the best of my ability imperfectly. And somehow, like, God took care of me through that year. You know, it was a shit year. But, like... I developed my conscious contact with a power greater than myself during that year. Like, 
that's what happened, right? I somehow learned about step two, right? I went from being totally powerless over drugs and alcohol to trusting and believing that, like, if I did what everybody said and, you know, certain people were like, you have potential. Like, I see that there's something in you that you can recover from this alcoholism shit and have still have a good life, right, on a daily basis, and I trusted them and I believed in them. And, you know, people said things like, you know what, Ezra, you don't have to relapse. It's harder if you relapse. Just stay. And I'm like, okay, I'll just stay. Like, I, I don't know shit, obviously, you know, because I just blew up like a great opportunity to have like a, my own business. And I just tried to collapse it at my first opportunity. So shit, that year was amazing. And then, you know, 2014, you know, we got the Affordable Care Act and my business just went through the roof, right? Because I practiced these principles in all my affairs and I tried to give, I, I tried to give to human beings that were asking me for help imperfectly to the best of my ability, like without expecting anything in return, like to give them information that they needed to make a decent healthcare decision. And I ended up like making some money and uh, doing, I was okay. Right. And I made friends in the program with the San Francisco Wharf Rats, which are these groups of deadheads, you know, who dance sober. Right. And so I found like this amazing group of people who are still some of my best friends to this day. And like, I've been to something like 25 or 30 fish shows sober now. Right. And when I go there, my whole intention is not to like wear the coolest jacket and have my, you know, be the one who's giving drugs to my friends to be the one who's like making sure that they have a slightly better time than me. Right. I want my friends to have a better time dancing than I do. Right. And because of that, I can, I literally, I went to 14 shows in one year. It was amazing. Right. And I did it sober. Like I can go anywhere and do anything. Um, you know, some of the things that I've gotten to do, as a sober guy, I've had a really good time, right? I usually like to start with this, but I did, um, my business has thrived, right? Like I have a great business, uh, great clients. I'm super blessed. I try to bring a high degree of humility and customer service to selling insurance, right? I'm, I did get to record my album in Oakland. Okay. Four song demo. It's on Spotify. Um, you know, I'm moving to Sacramento. They have an art scene there that's accessible. So I'm going to start trying to play some gigs out there. Um, I got to train as a river guide, right? So, um, I always wanted to do that in my twenties and I just never got around to it. Like, because I was like, just trying to survive or get a degree or be a chef or be a business person or whatever. Get, you know, it just never got around to it. And then, you know, in 2014, I got to like, I need to go on vacation because that's what people do. When they work hard, they get to go on vacation. And so I didn't have the wherewithal to plan a big trip. I'm like, well, the American River is right there. You know, seven-day guide training, $1,000, seven days on the river. You know, I was like the shittiest river guide trainee ever. <laughs> I sucked so hard. I threw so many people into the banks. They got spiders on them. It didn't matter. I did a second guide training in 2015. Um, I got to do my album. I studied jazz and bluegrass here at the jazz school in Freight Salvage. Um, I've been to Mexico two times sober, Panama, Costa Rica. 
Um, you know, my program is, is, it's kind of aggressive, right? Like, I did get, I missed the part in my share about getting diagnosed with ADD, right? I thought I had depression, okay? Turns out untreated ADD turns into depression because, like, if you don't have the tools to treat, you know, too much information overload, you're not very successful at work. And, uh, and plus you add drugs on that, very typical, you know, it's chaos. So after the mania, I got two diagnoses. One guy said I had bipolar. The second, I said, I want a second opinion. Let's not put me on lithium right away after everything I just took. I got another guy in San Francisco. He said, you're ADD. You should never do drugs or alcohol again. And I listened to him and I found the program. And so, um, yeah, so I, today I take my ADD meds and, um, um, I work a rigorous program. Like I wake up and I do, um, right now I just did the steps again, actually in Al-Anon. Turns out I'm a raging codependent. Um, and I have 25 active character defects that just manifested, um, as, as a relationship that I was in for three years with a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous combusted in April. Um, and, uh, I got to walk through that sober, right. And go to like places like the Salvation Army and say, Hey, I was in love with this girl and I'm completely heartbroken and I don't have to drink about it. Um, I kind of like want to, you know, I, I, I feel like more pain than I've ever felt. Right. In that April. Right. It was April and May really. Whew. But you know, I, I don't, I'm not interested in numbing it down with drugs cause I know it's not going to work. It's just going to make it worse. So, um, so yeah, uh, I'm saying the seven step prayer for each defect. That's 25 seven step prayers per day. Six fourth step prayers per day in the morning, followed by 10 minutes of meditation every day. Um, I sponsor one guy right now. I'm looking for more in Sacramento. Um, you know, I do the same ritual at night. I'm doing a daily 10th step. A daily 10th step. That's something I kind of missed in between 2014 and 2018. A daily 10th step. I'm going to talk a little bit about this love relationship since I have 10 minutes. So something happened in 2015. Um, I stopped taking my ADD meds because, um, first of all, it's technically methamphetamine. I never had any problem with meth or cocaine. Like, I don't like ADD drugs. Like, they do not work for me. Like, I don't want to take it. I, it's not like weed where I want more. It's like, ugh, it, I, I don't like it. I don't want to take it. That's how I know it's not a problem. Um, but I stopped taking it because an acupuncturist told me I shouldn't be taking it. I listened to her instead of my doctor. <laughs> and then I was at a fish show in Oregon. You know, and I met this really cool girl, you know, had a really cool tattoo and was sober. And, you know, I just like fell in love so hard. In true Leo dramatic fashion, just like, oh, off the deep end, in love. 
Like, I surrendered my will and my life to this person completely, right? I replaced this beautiful higher power that I had found, you know, in years one, two, and three of sobriety with, like, a hot girl. I did that, you know? There's, like, the sunlight of the spirit, and it's shining on me, and it's like my... I have a, I have a beautiful higher power. My higher power is Mother Nature, like, the river, the river has such wisdom. It, like, does this whole dance, and, you know, it's so, there's so much river wisdom. Um, <laughs> I'm a hippie. No, it's a humble. Give me a break. So I, I basically, like, you know, this thing that I would go to to get my serenity, this higher power that I had built this relationship with that, like, gave me, like, a business and a life and a body. I have all my limbs. Like... I surrendered that thing to a woman, <laughs> you know, because I don't know how to do certain things. And, um, all, um, yeah, it didn't work too good. I mean, it worked okay, but it was kind of miserable for me, really. And, um, so, yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I went through a big heartbreak, big heartbreak in sobriety in April. And, um, you know, and then I bought a house and now I'm moving and, um, you know, this is like my, you guys are my, like, this is my goodbye party to the Bay Area right now. Welcome. Thank you. I'm grateful to you guys because like, I'm like a kind of gentle, like kind of, bye, I'm back, kind of like, I don't, I don't want a big to do because I still have a business here. I got friends here. Um, I'm part of a home group, the men's single topic. I'm the secretary right now. I've had a lot of people substituting for me. Well, I've been trying to buy a house. So yeah, I mean, life is weird. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous so much. Like I'm so grateful to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like I think it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. Um, and I need it way more than it needs me. Um, I need like a daily disciplined program to, to stay sober and, you know, to, to be in gratitude because, you know, it's like so easy just to let like fear, right? Get in the way of between me and my higher power. Like those defects, you know, they come up and they obscure that sunlight that wants to shine on me and say, Hey dude, there's trees, there's sky, there's fog, there's all this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful people. Like we have an amazing fellowship here internationally. Um, and like all these defects, like vanity, um, like lust or, um, really like, let's be honest, low self-esteem, right? That's the big one, right? Like low self-esteem, you know, you let that shit get out of hand, you know, my cousin killed himself last July, you know, right when me and the girl were about to move in together. And I, you know, it was terrible. I've had a fucking year, man. Like, the fact that I didn't drink over this last, like, two or three month period or this last year is a, is a goddamn miracle. Like, I don't know what else to say about it. That I didn't want to drink. I didn't, I mean, I thought about it, like, for sure, you know. I was like, oh my God, like, am I going to do this? You know, but like I had so much like work invested in 
the program, you know, like I knew what to do, right? I called my sponsor, you know, I, I called my sponsees. I went to the Salvation Army. I talked about it. Um, you know, I met calamity with serenity as best as I could, you know. Now what I do is I pray for my ex-girlfriend, you know, that um, I do the four-step prayer for her. Like, I want her, I, and I genuinely want her to get everything that I want for myself. Like, I want her to be happy. We weren't happy together. I'm super sad about it. Some of you guys have probably seen us together, you know. It's a small fellowship, but, you know, I got a new life. Like, I went to Sacramento, and I got plugged in super fast there. And so, um, yeah, this program is amazing. And it's like, the more I put into it, the more I get out of it. So I go to a lot of meetings. I do, like, at least four or five meetings a week. I try to share. I try to sponsor. I go to Salvation Army. Um, You know, and I just, I feel so blessed to be sober and to get to do all these wonderful things. And I mean, five years ago, I had no money, right? I was out of money. And now I own a house. Like, how's that possible? That's a miracle. It's insane. Like, most people, you know, sober can't pull that off. And I got to pull that off in my first six years. Like, that's it. That's a testament to that this program works. Because I busted my freaking balls in this thing. Like, so hard. Imperfectly, Right? Strange mental blank spot, right? I can take a woman and put her in between me and my higher power. I can do it with a drug. I can do it with uh, a job. I can do it with a problem. Anything, right? I can take things and, sh- you know, shield myself from my higher power. That's a decision that I can make. I can rationalize it with all kinds of crazy alcoholic denial, mentally unhealthy thinking. But, you know, today I have two sponsors keeping their eye on me. And I'll tell you, there's a fellowship of Al-Anon in in Marin County that is doing great stuff. And I'm going to be driving to it from Sacramento because I want what they have. And that's like the next level for me. And also I got to keep sponsoring guys in AA so I can stay sober. So I'm not going to use all of my last five minutes. I'm just going to, you know, graciously thank you guys for hearing me. And I hope I had said something helpful. And I hope you guys have a really good rest of your weekend. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.